there, folks. My name is Emily, and you are listening to E Pluribus Unum, a podcast about really what's ever on my mind. I try to stay within the realms of current events and philosophy and politics and religion and culture, but mostly I talk about those things. Anyway, the purpose of the podcast is, well, yes, for me to share my thoughts on things, but the reason that I'm here is because, like so many other people, I'm distressed by the uncourteous lack of courteousness in our political discourse and how people say such horrible things to each other. And I really want to be one of the voices. I know I'm not the only voice doing this, but it's really important to me to be one of the voices which is trying to talk reasonably and kindly and to share ideas and thoughts and to create a space for real conversation and questions where we learn that people who think differently than us are just that people who think differently than us. They're not monsters. They're not idiots. They just think differently. They have different backgrounds, different frames of reference, and probably also good ideas if we would listen to them for a moment instead of calling each other names. And in this spirit of unity, I would like to start this week's episode with an issue which I think is truly bipartisan. And that is very big pills. Or rather, why do we have very big pills instead of little ones? If you've ever been prescribed a medicine or had to take a vitamin that is bigger than your thumb, then you understand what I'm talking about. I don't understand why there are some pills and vitamins that are so huge that only a horse and only a massive horse like a Clydesdale could comfortably swallow. We're humans. We have smaller mouths and smaller throats. And yes, there are some heroes among us who can swallow those pills with the tiniest gulp of water. But the rest of us are half choking and thinking that this pill, which is supposed to clear up our acne, is actually going to be the death of us as we choke it down our throat. Why are there such big pills? Is there a medical reason for it? I'm not a pharmacist or a doctor. I don't know how pills work, but is it really necessary to have one giant one? Can we not have three or four smaller ones that do the same job? I would very happily swallow three tiny pills instead of one giant one, because one giant one makes me choke. If someone could please explain to me what this big pill thing is all about, and if there's no need for it, can we just focus all our efforts on lobbying pharmaceutical companies to make tiny pills Because, yes, while some people may be able to swallow these really big ones, everyone can swallow tiny ones, so why don't we just have tiny ones? Anyway, if you're new to the podcast, we do often talk about issues that are a little bit deeper than the size of pills, but also this is real life. And in real life, for many people, big pills, myself included, big pills are a real problem. And we talk about the real issues here, folks. And that is one of them. And we're looking for something that we can all unite behind. And I really think that this is something we can all come together on. Anyway, now to get to the meat of the episode. Or for the vegetarians among us, the portobello mushroom of the episode. I've been working this summer at a summer camp. And I've had campers from the age of 5 up to 14. So 
I've seen quite a range. And I've had a few takeaways from this summer, two of which I want to share with you today. By the way, just a side note to people who say, oh, we can learn so much from kids and kids are the future, or teachers who say, I didn't teach my students this year, they taught me. I've also been in the classroom, not as long as many people, but I still feel like I can speak with some level of authority or at least experience on this. Yes, there are plenty of things that we can learn from kids, like how to live in the moment and how to use our imagination. As an improviser, I very often tap into those childlike qualities, but the idea that we're learning more from the students than they're learning from us, if that's the case, you should not be a teacher. I have seen so few counselors and parents, some are just put their foot down with kids. We're asking kids things and we're, we don't just say no or yes. I mean, sometimes things are a very concrete yes or concrete no. And there's all this wishy-washiness with kids and kids need stability and structure. And yes, kids need to hear the word no, not all the time, but often, some kids more than others. It is okay to say no, the kid might rebel now, but they and the rest of society will thank us later. Also, again, yes, we can learn many things from kids, but we can also learn things not to do from kids. Like kids who are angry tend to hit their friends instead of using their words. If you've ever worked with kids, you know this because you'll say, Timmy, use your words, not your hands, keep your hands to yourself. So kids might have a lot to teach us, but it's not like they're angelic beings and we adults are flawed figures, unredeemable. There are some great qualities about being a kid and we should retain them into our adulthood, like imagination and living in the moment. But how to be a good citizen, how to share, how to watch your words and not make fun of other people, how to be courteous to others and aware of your surroundings and not feel like you're the center of the universe. These are all things that kids need to be taught because they don't know them. So yes, kids are literally the future because that's how aging and time works, but let's dial it back a bit on kids are amazing. So two of my observations, things I've noticed kids do this summer, and one actually flows into the other. So this one has come recently because I've been working more with younger kids recently. There's this thing that they'll say when they see someone doing something they want to do. They'll say, oh my goodness, he's so lucky he gets to ride a bike. Or she's so lucky she brought a doll with her. And it's a very interesting phrasing. And I think all that the kids are really trying to say is, I also want to do that. So when they say, he's so lucky he brought his bike, it's, I wish I also brought my bike. Or she's so lucky she gets to go in the pool means, I also want to go in the pool. But it's very interesting phrasing to look at what someone else is doing and say that they're so lucky. Well, as anything with luck, it or ascribing luck to what someone else does, it negates the fact that they did something. For instance, the other day, some of the campers were looking at another counselor and saying, he's so lucky he gets to ride his bike. And I and my co-counselor said to the campers, well, he's an adult and he brought his bike. So it's, I suppose he's lucky in that he's fortunate that he's able to do it, but he's an adult and he brought his bike, so he's allowed to do it. When we ascribe luck to what other people are doing, I think we 
take away the fact that they might have done a lot of hard work and put in effort to get what they have gotten. It's not it's not an ill-gotten gain. They they did something to achieve this thing that they have, and if we want it, we can also work to make it happen. Now when my campers say, "Oh, he's so lucky that he's riding his bike." I try to remind them, well, yes, he's riding his bike, but we're lucky today. We got to go in the pool, or we did a cool art and craft project, or whatever the thing is that we did that we are also lucky to get to have done. I try to redirect their focus to help instill in them a sense of gratitude, because I think that's really what's at the root of using the word lucky. It's not only that you're taking away the autonomy that someone else had, their power, their like their own personal responsibility that they have taken to do the work or put in the effort to do the cool thing that we're envious of, but also that we are lucky and fortunate. We might be lucky in different ways. We aren't riding our bike, but we got to do a cool science project. But instead of looking at what everyone else has and being jealous of that and just taking for granted what we have, we need to be grateful for what we have for the blessings in our life. And while this is just a phrase that five-year-olds say, I don't think it's ever too early to instill an idea of gratitude into children. This, I mean, the sooner you instill it, then they grow up with it, as opposed to waiting until they're 15 and saying, okay, now we'll teach gratitude. By then, it's too late. You have to grow up, not just with gratitude, but with other good qualities. You can't wait until kids are quote-unquote old enough. The other problem with this phrase is that there's there's undertones of unfairness in it. It's not just he's lucky that he gets to ride his bike, but it's unfair that he gets to ride his bike and I don't get to. It's unfair that she gets to go in the pool and I don't. And fairness is the second observation I wanted to bring up because this one is You'll see as we get into it, but I, my mind keeps on going in circles around this one topic. And I, this is one of those topics where it's truly a conversation. And I'm thinking aloud right here with you, dear listener. I would really love to hear people's comments over on Instagram. We're all used to kids saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. And the general response is, well, life isn't fair, which is true. Life is not fair. Whether things come from God, from fate, from nature, from other people, it doesn't matter. Life is unfair. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Different good things happen to different good people. It's all over the place. Life is not fair. But when I hear a kid complain about unfairness, my response is not, well, life is unfair. I have a different response, which I learned from a teacher that I used to work with, and I really, really love this response. She was talking specifically to a boy in our class, and he was complaining about something being not fair. I don't remember now what it was, probably some kid got something special that he didn't get. So this little boy was complaining about things being not fair, and the teacher said, Joey, do you have a sister? Joey said, I do have a sister. The teacher said, Joey, if your sister got a dress, a very pretty dress for a special occasion, would you also want a dress? And he was seven, and he said, ew, no, of course I wouldn't want a dress. And the teacher said, well, isn't that unfair that your sister has a dress, but you don't? And he says, but I don't need a dress. And the teacher said, exactly. Some people get different things. It's not fair or unfair. Everyone gets what they need. Different people have different needs. Different people have different wants. 
And so not everyone is going to get the same thing. And that's okay, because not everyone needs or wants the same thing. And I like that, because that's true when working with kids. Sometimes one kid might get an extra snack because he didn't bring enough snacks in his lunchbox. Or one kid gets to be line leader because it's his birthday and it's his turn to be line leader. There are different people have different needs. But here's where my mind keeps spinning because I think that's what equity is. Equity is this idea that we don't all start off at the same place and therefore holding everyone to the same standard or giving everyone the same training is not fair because different people have different needs. At our camp, we did talk about equity when it came to kids with special needs. Our camp is very inclusive for kids with special needs and they're just as involved in the camp. They might have a counselor or a shadow counselor that hangs around especially with them depending upon their level of need, but they do the projects and the games and the crafts as much as they are able to. So it's a very inclusive camp. And during our training, we talked about equity, how well the example given was a baseball game. And a few kids are trying to look into the baseball game, but there's a big fence. And one of the kids can see over the fence and one kid can't. And so a way to help the kid who can't see over the fence would be to give him a box to stand on. Now, only one of the kids gets the box because they don't both need it, right? Only one kid needs the box. So it's unfair because it's not equal. It's not exactly the same, but it's what the kid needs. As I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about it, and maybe our idea of fair is just wrong. Like, we've always had this idea that fair means the same, but maybe fair and same are, are not the same thing. Fair is treating people according to what they need and what they want, and same is different. Like we're equal under the law and we should be. And the same laws apply to all of us. But when we're in individual conversations or individual interactions, we can look at someone's background. See, I don't know. So, okay. So this is where the topic really confuses me because equity, when it comes to people with special needs, a hundred percent makes sense because you're trying to include people as much as possible. And you understand that someone who can't walk might need different help when you're getting around the campgrounds or whatever the thing is. But we're supposed to be talking equity when it comes to people of color. And you know I hate that phrase, but I don't know what else to say. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a new thing. If you can think of a new thing, help me out here. You know, I use European instead of white, but I don't know what to use instead of people of color because they've chosen it as a catch-all. And frankly, it's a helpful catch-all. So we're supposed to be focusing on equity for people of color, which means that we recognize the historic bias against them. So instead of having the same standards or the same entry methods into colleges or to jobs, we're supposed to change it, recognizing their past and helping them get basically to the same level, right? It's like, we're all starting at the same starting. We want to help us get all to the same starting point, but they're not at the same starting points and they need a boost to get to the same starting point. My instinct is that's wrong. But again, I have trouble backing up that instinct because of the description of fair that I use with kids. And maybe my description of fair is wrong and maybe it's just not clear. And maybe fair goes down to it's up to God or fate, whatever you believe in. I hope it's God. Believing in God is so much more comforting than something random like fate. And maybe there is no answer to fairness. Sometimes good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Sometimes vice versa. And sometimes you'll be the one to win the raffle and sometimes your friend will and there's really no rhyme or reason to it. 
But if there is a rhyme or reason to it and how we can treat people, then I, in a one-on-one basis, we can take into account someone's background. But when it comes to a whole country, I don't know if we have that capability. Not to mention, where do you draw the line? I understand that historically people were discriminated against, but as a black kid who comes from a two-family, middle-class home, had a great education in high school, worse off than a white kid from a broken home in the Ozarks? Just because one kid's white and one kid's black? How do you judge that? Some, I mean, maybe, I shouldn't even say maybe. At some point, you have to have a standard. And some people are going to meet the standard and some people aren't. I don't know how we come to grips with that, how we help every person. But I think that there's more to the argument against equity than just the fact that it's impractical to delve into the past of every person applying for a job or every person applying to college or every person we might give reparations to, right? The whole idea of reparations is preposterous because how do you know which black people were slaves here and which white people they were enslaved by, and obviously not anyone living today that they were enslaved by, but in the past, who was connected. I mean, I'm certainly never going to pay reparations. I won't allow it because my family was not involved in slavery here. It would be ridiculous for me to pay reparations. But how do you figure that out? And anyway, I'm going off topic because it's really this idea of equity and fairness. And I, I tr- maybe I just can't define them properly. And I think that's really important. We have all these conversations. We try to have all these honest, open dialogues and conversations. But I think sometimes it's not even that we disagree on the values. It's that we don't even know what the terms mean that we're using. I mean, what does person of color mean? What does fair mean? What does equity mean? What does racist mean? What does liberty? There are all these words that we use and we fail to define them. We just either assume the other person thinks the same thing we do. Probably that's the main one. But I think sometimes we don't even define them for ourselves. And if we don't understand the terms that we're using, we can't really discuss any solutions or anything substantial because we're just arguing. If we have two different definitions for a word, we're having two different arguments. And that is completely unhelpful. That wasn't exactly where I was expecting to go with this topic. But as I said, this was a real live happening in real time thought process, which is what this podcast really is. Like I said, it's supposed to be. I want you to feel like we're having a conversation. I hope you have a cup of tea with you while this is happening. So you can just be thinking or maybe a nice snack. I love to snack while I'm listening. I love to snack while I'm doing anything, frankly. But I really want this to be a conversation. And I was thinking through that topic and I don't have an answer. You know what? It is okay not to have the answers to everything. I think that's part of life is continuing to look, look for answers and to learn new things and change our minds as long as we're open to it. The important thing, I guess, is to be open to it. Like I am on this topic. I'm open to being wrong about fairness and equity. I just, I really don't know. When I say I don't know, I mean it. I have no idea on this one. I'm, I'm thinking through it and I thank you so much for being here with me as I thought through it. Hopefully, I gave you something to think about because that's my goal here. You know, just help us think a little bit more, think about other people, think about what other people might be thinking about. It's a lot of thinking going on here. And as we 
think about people more, put ourselves in their shoes, open up our minds to the fact that they might not be terrible people, we are also there for more able to treat everyone a little kinder than necessary. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude Opus 10, number one in C major, known as the Waterfall Etude. <laughs>